Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Good morning, Bethlehem Covenant Church. Thanks for joining us here on this March 19th. Hope you are having a really great week. Um, A couple announcements as we begin today. One is we are collecting new underwear and socks of all different ages to hand out for our community closet, as well as laundry soap. If you have any of that and want to go to the store and buy some and bring it in, uh, that would be great. We hand out to some 50, 60 different families in the Waverly District 145 area. Uh, for different clothes, both in the spring and in the fall. And we're getting ready for our big spring uh, time uh, for families to come in. And so we could use new underwear, socks, and um, laundry soap. If you have any of that, bring that to the church in the next few weeks. That would be great. Also wanted to let you know about our Easter services and things. Three weeks until Easter, so we're getting pretty close. We will have Palm Sunday on April 2nd, just like a normal service, 830, 1030. And then we're going to have Monday, Thursday there uh, to come that Holy Week time. And uh, we're going to have a soup supper here at the church and a service. We invite you out to it. It's at 6 o'clock. And then on Good Friday, we have a 7 o'clock service right here in the sanctuary. Uh, please come on out. It'll be seven different people sharing about the seven different things that Jesus spoke while hanging on the cross. And they're powerful things that Jesus Jesus spoke there that we can learn as we reflect upon the sacrifice that he made for us. And then on Easter morning, we have our 8.30 and 10.30 services with a 9 o'clock breakfast in the middle there for people uh, and a 10 o'clock egg hunt. And so we invite you to come on out uh, to, to celebrate Easter here and to hear about the glorious news of the resurrection and to be together to worship God It'll be a good morning uh, on Easter morning. That is April 9th, and so I invite you to that. Well, we've been working our way through the Gospel of John all year, and we are now getting close to the end here. And so if you have your Bibles and want to follow along with me, I'll be looking at some selected verses from John 16 mostly. Um, But I'm going to start on John 15, uh, verses 18 to 21, and then I'm going to jump over to John 16 with a few verses there. And uh, so I will mention them before I read them, but it'll be kind of hard to maybe for you to, to kind of follow along, but we'll see if we can do it. So John 15, 18 to 21, it says, Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world. I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. Well, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obey my teaching, they'll also obey yours. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. And then down to chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, Jesus said, All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. For they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think that they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you. And then down to verse 16 and following. Jesus went on to say, in a little while you will see me no more. 
and then after a little, you will see me again. At this, some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean in a little while? We will see no more, and then after, we'll be, and he's going to the Father. They kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? Jesus saw they wanted to ask him about this, and so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said in a little while you will see me, and then after not? For I tell you the truth, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that the child is born into the world. So it is with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will be able to take away your joy. And then two more verses. Verse 28, Jesus said, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. And then finally, verse 33, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If you have your Bible still, just repeat with me that final verse. It's such a good one. Jesus said, I told you these things so that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Another translation of take heart is have courage. Right? Jesus said, in me, you'll have peace. In the world, you're going to have trouble. And so the first verse that we read said, if this world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you. But you don't belong to the world. I've chosen you out. We don't belong as <laughs> As believers in Christ, we are different, we are chosen, we are set apart in this world. But what does it mean to really be a follower of Jesus living in this world for him? Jesus said that it means at times you're going to experience persecution, even trouble. There was a young German theologian and pastor by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer who lived in Germany during uh, World War II, and he primarily taught a bunch of high school and college students the Bible. Um, but this was back in the 30s, you know, in the rise of Hitler. Well, Bonhoeffer was living right there in Germany during all of that. He was the dean of this young seminary, and he also was a pastor teaching at a church on Sundays. And he also wrote. He wrote great books uh, that really teach what it means to live out our faith in this world. The Cost of, the, of Discipleship is, is his most famous book. Life Together is another one. Letters and Papers from Prison is a third. But they all come out of his experience of reading the Bible, wanting to live like Jesus, but living in a world where everything around him has gone crazy and is so different and contrary to the word. A famous line of Bonhoeffer's was, when Christ calls a man, he calls him to come and die. And he was mainly speaking about the dying to ourself every day and rising to a new life in Jesus Christ. But part of it is, is not conforming to the world around us. Not just doing what everybody else is doing, but choosing to be a follower of Jesus and live separately and differently and apart from this world even if it means doing it alone. 
This was a reality for Bonhoeffer and his students that they had to figure out. As a church, they had a front row seat to everything that was going down in Germany. Hitler was brainwashing the people. He was rounding up Jewish families in their own neighborhood. People they knew from town were being taken away, and they were hearing about these horrible things that were being done. And, and so what did it mean to be a Christian or a church then and there at that time in Germany in the rise of Hitler? Well, most churches, they turned a blind eye, sadly, and some even supported the Nazi cause. But Bonhoeffer and his students would courageously resist this. Bonhoeffer was one of the few pastors who spoke up even before Hitler got into power. He saw where the country was headed, where the conversations were going. He saw the rise of nationalism and national socialism as an attempt to make history without God and to found it on the strength of man alone. He saw the fear and the hate beginning to enter into the church and the politics and how soon it was, wasn't following Jesus anymore, but a crazy man. And Bonhoeffer resisted all of this or tried to and he would not speak its propaganda but he would speak the scriptures and he would tell it the truth and he was arrested for it imprisoned that's when he wrote letters and papers from prison and he was killed for it at the age of 39 and there are so many other stories of heroic believers who, who lived in this world but would not become part of it, like Corrie Ten Boom and her family who were Christians and chose at great risk to themselves to hide Jews in their home and were found out and they paid a great price for following Jesus. Or the story of Neapolitan Carol, one of my favorites, a Greek Orthodox priest who spoke up against what was happening in his Bulgarian town. Despite all the warnings, uh, he led his congregation in a great act of courage. They all walked down to the train station one evening where the SS was rounding up Jews to take them to Auschwitz, and he and his congregation stood between the German soldiers and the Jewish families, and in a short but powerful sermon with his booming voice he said to the Jewish people the words of Ruth 116 where you go we will go where you stay we will stay your people will be my people and your God my God and the Jews cheered and the Christians cheered and the soldiers walked away the train never left the station and not one Bulgarian Jew died in a concentration camp Throughout history, many followers of Jesus have done things like this in their time, in their place. They have stood up for Christ. They have stood up for the oppressed or the needy. They have spoken truth that wasn't popular in their time. They've gone to jungles or to cities or to faraway nations and preached the gospel in places where it was forbidden to do so. They've gathered in secret. They have lived in the world but not become of it at times hated by the world. But they had the peace of Christ in them. For the last 2,000 years, so many have asked the question, how far am I willing to go to follow my Lord? 
Jesus told his disciples in this chapter for today that if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. They will treat you this way because of my name. They will put you out of the synagogue. Jesus said there'll even be those who kill you and think they're doing a service to God. But Jesus said they do this because they don't really know the Father or me. Jesus said, I've told you these things ahead of time so that when it happens, in me you will have peace. Because in this world you won't. So take heart. Literally, it is take a deep breath. Have courage. Because I have overcome the world, he said. And you know, it's not just the big things like being a Christian in Germany in the 30s. <laughs> I think persecution can come anywhere. And in small ways, too. But it may feel pretty big to us. You know, it's like the college student who dares to say that they believe in creation right in the middle of their science class or discussion about the formation of the world. And instantly they're labeled or put down. That can just hurt. Or the teenager who is in a group of kids who start making fun of someone else and they choose not to participate. Instead, go and befriend the other and speak out against what they're doing. Suddenly, they find themselves on the outside and losing friends. It's hard losing friends. It can be the person who's willing to, be, to pray and be seen by their co-workers. It's the business guy who chooses to lose profit and, so that he can honor the commitment to the Lord by sitting next to his family at church. It's a sacrifice to do the things that Christ may call us to do. It's the couple who decides to wait until they're married when no one else is. Or the grandmother who feels that she's the only one in the family who still believes. Maybe he's even made fun of by her kids for still going to church. But tearfully and faithfully, she continues to pray for each one. Our scripture for today, I think, is about all of this. It's about loving Jesus in this world. It's about not becoming like everybody else, thinking like everybody else, but choosing to follow Jesus over the crowd, even when persecution comes. It's choosing to be a light in all of this darkness and not hiding our faith or our love for Jesus or our testimony underneath the bowl. It's doing as Peter said in 1 Peter 2.11, he said, dear friends, I urge you to live like foreigners and exiles in this world. To abstain from the desires that war against your soul. Live such good lives among the unbelieving that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they might see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he comes. And then Peter said, for remember, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And that's what Jesus is saying here to his disciples. You, do, you don't belong to the world. You belong to me. I've chosen you up out of the world. You belong to God. And belonging really means holy. It means being set apart. Jesus is speaking to his disciples like this in his final teaching of, to them before the cross. He's reminding them of who they are and he's warning them of what's going to come and how it's not always going to be easy for them living in this world. They're going to have to face persecution and hatred and rejections and trouble just like he did. But he tells them to have courage in those moments. 
to not fear, not to cave, not to conform, but to be courageous for Christ. Remembering that if the world hates you, Jesus said, keep in mind it hated me first. Jesus said, I told you these things so that in me you'll have peace, because in this world you're going to have trouble. So take heart, have courage. I've overcome the world. What he meant is that the victory has already been won. So just hang on. Keep the faith. Now I think to understand our place in the world a little better, what Scripture is saying to us here, we first need to remember what the Bible says about God's relationship with the world. What is God's relationship with the world? Well, first thing we know and believe from the Bible is that God created the world. Everything we see, God made every star, every mountain and tree and flower and lake and ocean and animal and person you meet, God, meet. God made them. He spoke and, and the world was created. And today, He still knits together every human life in its mother's womb. That is what the Bible says. Everyone, everything made by God. Second thing we learn is that God sustains the world. He brings about each day. It doesn't just happen. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The world doesn't just exist apart from God. The earth doesn't just revolve around the sun all by itself. No, He rules the universe. He tells the lightning bolts where to go. He stores up the snow. He sends the rain. His mercy and faithfulness. His is the one who gives us breath. He watches over us. God has not abandoned this world that He made. We are forever his, he intimately cares for His creation every day. He sustains the world. So God creates the world and God sustains the world. But the third thing we learn in the Bible is that the world turned away from God. God didn't turn away from the world. The world turned away from God. And, and we call that sin. And sin is like a disease. It spreads everywhere once it gets in. It spreads everywhere to everyone. All of creation has now been affected by sin. So much so that we don't know our right from our left at times. We don't know what is good or evil anymore. We call one the other. And so now suffering and death has now come into this world on account of our sin. The world is now fallen and it is broken. But the fourth truth about God's relationship with the world is that God saves the world. The miracle that we read in the Bible in the Gospel of John is that God so loved the world even after its fall. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believe in him will no longer perish, but have everlasting life. God did the saving. He made himself known in Christ. He reconciled us to himself in Christ. He overcame sin on the cross. He did it, and he offers us eternal life. God saves the world. Jesus said in John 3.17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This was his mission, his will. He's the only one who could do it, and he did it. And this truth is so important, I can't even tell you. The salvation of this world did not come from this world, but from God alone. 
God sent his son who entered the world, took on flesh, flesh, then a cross, then rose from the dead, overcoming the grave and goes back to the father. That's what Jesus says in our scripture for today. He says, I came from the father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the father. You see, the Bible is telling us that salvation did not come from this world, but from outside of it. It is God who saves the world. David in Psalm 40 made this so clear when he wrote, I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the mud and the mire. He lifted me. He who was not stuck lifted me who was stuck up out of the mud and the mire. He opened my eyes that I might see. He set my feet upon a rock. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. He did it. My God did it. He who was not in the darkness entered the darkness where I was and led me out of the darkness by his light. All of this, you see, is so incredibly important truth that we build our life upon. It is that God created the world. It is God who sustains the world. The world turned away, but God saves the world. This is the biblical story. This is the message that we believe. And I think that is so important today because the message that I hear a lot of from the world, if we are listening, is a very different message. It is that everything we see came from what already was. We're just stardust, a product of the world. The world made the world. There's no God who made us or sustains us. Religion, just an ancient superstition. We're all just particles of the universe that have come together by fate. And the world is not really that bad. It is mostly good. And people are generally good, except for maybe Adolf Hitler. And so we don't really need saving. We just need to learn how to love and accept each other better, and we'll be fine. And if there are problems in the world, we will fix them. We humans are pretty smart and can figure it out. We're powerful together and we're able to accomplish anything as long as we put our mind to it. We can make the world a better place. If you really listen, this is the gospel according to the world today. And so my point in all of that is this. If we Christians are preaching a different gospel and we truly believe it, that God created the world. God sustains the world. The world turned away from God to sin, but God saves the world through Jesus Christ to all who believe in him will have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And if it is our desire not only to believe this, but to share this with others in the world, that they too might recognize its truth and see their sin and find salvation in Christ. If this is what's happening, can't you see then how we're going to come into conflict? Not only with the prince of this world, but those who reject the whole idea about a God or sin or judgment or truth or the Bible being our authority. Or when Jesus said he's the only way or that some behavior that they see is fine 
that we see as sin according to the word? Can you see how we're going to keep running into conflict even if what we say, we say nicely? Even if we do it humbly and with grace like we're supposed to? Even if we give out stickers that say God loves you or at Easter make the cross into chocolates, the cross is still the cross (laughs) and it is still offensive to the world. We have to understand that. The world preaches a different gospel. And for many, the Christian message is something that they are passionately opposed to. Even a message that they feel is harmful. And that's how we get into persecution. When the message we believe and proclaim, the world sees as a threat to itself. This is when we will face persecution. And we will face it. This is what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples in our chapter for today. That he's sending them out like lambs to the slaughter. This is not going to be an easy mission he is leaving them with. The world is going to hate them. They're going to face persecution. They're going to be rejected by friends and family and kicked out of synagogues, not welcomed into their hometowns. But he wants them to have his peace as they walk this lonesome valley because he will walk it with him. And this is amazing. Why does he even walk it? Because he loves this world even though it's preaching a different message, even though it has gotten so lost and caught up and trapped within sin, darkness. He loves it. And he came for it to lay down his life to save it. Jesus never taught his disciples to fight the world, but he taught them to love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them and to do good to those who harm them and to bless and not curse and to deny themselves, pick up their cross and follow him. The cross is not just a place we're saved, but it's also the way the disciples would have to follow. Just a couple verses I wanted to point out here for us to think about. Jesus said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. The world hated Jesus, but Jesus didn't hate the world. He didn't approve of its ways, but he didn't hate the world. The Pharisees hated Jesus, but Jesus did not hate the Pharisees. Again, he spoke so directly to them about their sin and hypocrisy, but he didn't hate them, but they hated him. The Romans hated Jesus and mocked him and forced a crown of thorns upon his head, nailed him to a tree. But Jesus didn't hate the Romans. He is even heard praying for them while on that cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so when we go through persecution and rejection from people in this world, we got to remember Jesus to keep in mind that they might have hated him. But he didn't hate them back. He kept on loving. 
Hebrews 12, 2 says, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross with all of its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus is both our inspiration and our example in suffering. For the joy to come, Jesus endured the suffering of love. Like the example Jesus gave of a woman bearing a child, there's the pain of labor, but then the joy of the child to come. Jesus was living for the joy to come. In John 7, 7, Jesus said, They hate me because I testify that their works are evil. Jesus always spoke the truth, but he did it with grace. But still, no one wants to be told what they're doing is wrong. But if we're going to be faithful to God's word, we have to call sin, sin. Now, hopefully our message is never one of condemnation or judgment, but truth sprinkled with a whole lot of grace because we want to help. Spoken also in humility, recognizing in our own selves sin as sinners who only by the grace of God can stand. Hopefully our message is spoken in the right spirit in the right way, but no one ever did it so perfectly as Jesus, and yet they still hated him. So for sure, they're going to hate us sometimes, even the times we don't want them to, even when we struggle to know what to say and if we should say and how the right way. Still, when we get it all so perfectly right, they still will reject the message because they're rejecting Christ. Because they don't want to be told their deeds are evil or that they have to give an account to God someday. And so in this, we got to remember, as Jesus told his disciples, remember, they hated me first. It's not you, it's me. They're treating you this way because of my name. Jesus said, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But I have chosen you out of the world. That's why it hates you. We have to get used to the idea that living for Jesus means we're different and that we're not going to have everyone like us all the time. We are chosen out of the world. And it's the same language of the Old Testament about Israel. They were first to be set apart for God, more concerned what God thought than what others thought, wanting to please him more than people. They were to be holy, his first, not like everybody else. And we got to be okay with a little rejection. If the world loves you all the time, then that means you belong to it, not to God. But when people hate you because of your faith, Keep in mind that they hated Jesus first. And remember Jesus' words from Matthew 5.10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kind of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The next verse, though, I just wanted to highlight is John 16.2, where Jesus tells his disciples they're going to be kicked out of synagogues. And that those who kill them will think that they're doing a service to God. This is an interesting verse. Because Jesus is telling them it won't just be pagan nations who are going to be against you. It's going to be your own people. Even religious people who think they're doing what God wants. For those disciples, they like Jesus were going to be rejected and killed by their own people. And this was perhaps the most painful thing. Jesus, when he went back to, to Nazareth where he grew up. At first, they celebrated in them, and after he spoke, they wanted to kill him, throw him over a cliff. They didn't believe him and didn't agree with what he said, and so they tried to kill him. Jesus experienced rejection at home, 
from the very people he came to save. Jesus tells his disciples that some of that persecution that they're going to experience is going to come from their own people. Jesus said in 16.3 that they'll do these things because they don't know the Father or me. And that's a powerful statement that Jesus is making about the condition of God's covenant people that most had lost touch with who God the Father was. And so they were doing all these religious things and traditions, but they didn't know God anymore. And they didn't recognize him when he came. The Apostle Paul was one of those people. He grew up going to the best Jewish schools, trained by the best rabbi, became a Pharisee at a young age who quickly got a lot of praise. And then Paul went out to persecute, though, young believers of Jesus. He thought as a good Jewish man that that's the most godly thing he could do. He shares his testimony in Acts 26 about how he was convinced he was doing the right to oppose the name of Jesus. And he is... He put as many of the Lord's people in jail as he could find, and he even went to synagogue to synagogue, taking them out, punishing them, and even putting some to death. He thought he was doing a service to God, that he was being a faithful Jew, and so convinced that he was right in this. He said it was not until the Lord himself spoke to him on the road and revealed the truth of Christ to his heart that he could really see. I mention this verse because sometimes the persecution comes from the people closest to us. It may even come from our family or our church, from people who've lost touch with the heart of God. They may be outwardly religious, but inwardly don't really know God or his son. And so as we go along and follow Jesus Christ, we may at times be surprised to find the ones who are standing against. Jesus experienced persecution from his own people. And so would the disciples. But when this happens, remember that they are not the enemy. At times, they think they're doing the right thing. So just pray for them and remember the story of Paul and what God can do. He can turn that one who's so zealously against Jesus into the one who's so zealously for Jesus. And that's our prayer for them. And then the final thought I end with on this sermon is how beautifully Jesus tells his disciples that they're going to weep and mourn for a while. But that grief is going to turn to joy. And then Jesus shares the example of a woman giving birth and how much pain she goes through. But when that baby is born, her, her focus shifts and the anguish is replaced by the joy at seeing her child. So too, Jesus said in verse 22, this is how it's going to be for you. He says, this is your time of grief, but I'll see you again. And you're going to rejoice. And no one's going to be able to take away your joy. And then in verse 33, he says, I've told you this, that in me you might have peace, for in this world you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And so you see, in every persecution that we have, in every sorrow, sadness, rejection, discouragement, insult, grief, suffering, we have to remember these words, that he has overcome. There is nothing that this world can do to us that he hasn't already endured and won for us the victory. All the sufferings that we got to go through are now just like labor pains, temporary, and not worth comparing to the glory that will one day be revealed. And so that is where we fix our eyes. Not on this life, not on this world. Here we're going to have trouble. 
but we fix it on glory. Here, people might hate us, but keep in mind, they hated our Savior first. Here, we might get kicked out of a few places, but we'll never get kicked out of the kingdom. Here, we might lose some friends, but nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Here, we might even get locked up in jail or killed like Bonhoeffer. But remember, Jesus was thrown into jail and killed on a cross, but he overcame. He rose, and in him, we too will rise and be with him forever. Jesus said to his disciples, now is your time of grief, but I'll see you again and you will rejoice and no one will be able to take away your joy. For blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward for in the same way they persecuted the prophets before you. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church's information and events, head to bccwaverly.org.